Come on, why don't you clap your hands and give God some praise. Oh, come on, why don't you lift your hands and lift your voice and begin to magnify Jesus. Woo! Come on, it's starting to feel good in the house of the Lord tonight. Let me tell you why we're excited tonight. I'm telling you, the moment we feel just an inkling of the presence of God, we shout and we praise God. You want to know why? There are very few places that Jesus went that things didn't change. Miracles took place. I'm telling you, his presence is here. You don't have to leave the same way you came. I know it's a Wednesday night, but the Spirit of the Lord is here. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You may have some chains, amen, but God's going to break every chain in this house. Come on, watch to lift his name up right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, I get excited. I get excited when I begin to feel the Spirit of God move. I begin to get excited. That means hope is not lost. Amen. That means victory is here. That means peace is here. Whatever you need, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is in this house. One more time, why don't you clap your hands and magnify Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo. Amen. Amen. How privileged are we, amen, to stand in the presence of God and to feel what we feel, and to have the ability, amen, to come in one way and leave another way. I'm so thankful for the God we serve, and I'm so thankful for the Spirit of God that we feel here. Amen. I was feeling like we could have sang that chorus a few more times. We were starting to break into something right there, but amen. I guess you want to hear me preach. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. If you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter number 4, we're going to be reading from verse 8 to verse 16. And I again want to give your pastor honor and his wife. They're very close friends to us. They're great uh, people, and uh, they're doing a great work here in the city of Carson. And, um, amen, I'm thankful for their friendship. Uh, before me and my wife were really launching out in ministry at all, they took the time to spend some time with us and get to know them. And I'm just so thankful for people who are real and down to earth. And I'm excited to see what God is doing here. Amen. We had one more get the Holy Ghost on Sunday. Amen. I feel like, amen, if you need the Holy Ghost tonight, or if it's been a long time since you've spoken in tongues, God will touch you and fill you tonight. And I'm so thankful for that. So thankful for your ministry team. I saw people who were on the piano, on the drums, people who were in the congregation singing. You guys have a versatile team. And uh, amen. I'm thankful that you guys usher in the presence of God so capably. And um, I'm excited to be with you tonight. Um, I do feel um, that I want to do a little bit more teaching uh, tonight, if that's okay. Amen. Is it okay if we go a little bit deeper tonight? Amen. Amen. We can still shout and have a good time. Amen. But I believe uh, that God wants to do something in this house. And I want to take my time and just move through these scriptures. It seems the more I come to Carson City, um, normally, my wife could attest to this, I'm, a, I'm about a 30, 35-minute preacher. But it seems every time I come here, amen, I add another 10 or 15, something about this congregation, amen, praise God. But, amen, I'm going to try and, and, and watch the time, amen. And uh, I believe God's going to do great things, um, giving honor to uh, my home church, East Bay Bible Fellowship, and my pastor, Ari Prado. Amen. Love and appreciate them very much. Amen. Let's dive into the word of God. Genesis chapter number four, verse eight through 16. 
Bible says, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. The Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? He said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. Now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth. From thy face shall I be hid. Thy shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. The Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. The Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. I want to really hone in here, this last verse. And Cain went out from the presence, everybody say presence, of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Quickly turning to Psalm chapter 51, we'll just read three short verses there. Psalms 51, verse 9 through 11, most of you know this. Hide thy face from my sins, blot out all mine iniquities, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me, cast me not away from thy presence, everybody say presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Genesis chapter 4, we have an individual who willfully chose to leave the presence of God. And in Psalms 51, we have a broken king who's begging not to be cast away from his presence. Amen. I really felt this today. I believe this is going to help somebody. But I want to talk about for the next few moments what lies beyond his presence. What lies beyond his presence. Amen. I need your help today. Would you help me pray that God would have his way in this service? God, we love you. We thank you. The only pure and righteous thing in this building is you. And so, God, we pray that your anointing would begin to flow. We know, God, that every day we stand in your presence is a day that is unique and special. And we understand that tomorrow is not promised. I pray, God, that we would get everything out of this service that you would have us get out. I pray, God, that you would get the glory. And I pray, Lord, that your presence would fill this house. You would begin to stir our hearts and our minds. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us get in the spirit. For in our flesh we can receive nothing from you. I pray, God, that you would help us to captive, hold captive every thought. And, God, that we would be present in this moment. We leave here giving you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. For, God, you are worthy. You are worthy of all the praise and the glory. Why don't you lift your hands? Amen. And begin to just praise God for a few moments. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your spirit. We're thankful for your presence. We're thankful for your anointing. We pray, God, have your way in this place. Clap your hands and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Hallelujah. Amen. If you're going to help me today, you may be seated. Amen. If not, stand. 
and we'll have the secretary take down names for Pastor Hood when he gets back. Praise God. Amen. Amen. I want to move um, methodically through this scripture today. Stay with me. I believe God's going to do something special. I'm going to talk about what lies beyond his presence. The, the setting of our scripture text finds the second confrontation that God would have with man. This time, God is confronting Cain for the deliberate murder of his brother Abel. Consider the fact that we're only in Genesis chapter number 4, and already God is having to again confront humanity for a deliberate act of iniquity and sin. What you'll find when comparing and contrasting God's confrontation with Cain and his confrontation with Adam and Eve in the garden is a very powerful principle I would be remiss if I didn't share with you and highlight from the offset of this sermon. And that principle is the devastating danger of concealment. Everybody say concealment. Consider the fact that in both scenarios, humanity had sinned and God comes to address it. Humanity does not seek out God. In fact, we know that Adam and Eve hid from his presence. Here, Cain, amen, was in no great rush to share the fact that he had murdered his brother. And it's God that comes and seeks them out. In the case of Adam and Eve, when God confronts them, Although there was blame being thrown around, uh, ultimately Adam and Eve would confess their wrongdoing. And it's what God does next that is eye-opening. When Adam and Eve confess their sins, God does not curse Adam and Eve for their mistake. But he turns to the serpent and he curses the serpent. However, in Cain's case, when he was confronted... He concealed the truth. He said, am I my brother's keeper? And in so doing, we find that God curses Cain. The powerful lesson you'll learn from these exchanges is that the power of confession lies in the fact that it condemns and binds our adversary while at the same time liberating the person that's confessing. But when we opt to conceal and hide, it leads to our own destruction, as is the case in the story of Cain. Let me say for a few moments, the power in confession does not come from you just simply confessing. It's what God and how God responds to your confession that brings about such a powerful revelation and understanding that God will not condemn you because you messed up. But when you confess your sins, God will bind up your adversary. We see that Adam and Eve confessed, and then God turns and curses the serpent. Cain chooses to conceal, and Cain himself is a man cursed. I've come to encourage somebody, amen, that God is not going to, to judge you harshly because you choose to confess. In fact, when you confess, God is going to anoint you to be able to deal, amen, with the problem problems that you have. Uh, come on, if you struggle with addiction and with alcohol, if you confess that sin, uh, God is going to empower you uh, to get the victory over it. Uh, but when you conceal the truth uh, and you hide the truth, uh, you'll find it's to your own destruction. 
Amen. That's why it's important to have someone you're accountable to, your pastor, your youth leader, amen, ministry team. It's important for you to understand that you need to confess these things. You do not need to conceal and hide because what does it profit us if we gain the whole world and lose our soul? What does it profit us if all the saints in the church think you're holy and righteous, but inside your heart is far from God? I'm telling you, tomorrow is not promised, and I've come to tell somebody, don't conceal but confess and God uh, will bind the devil. God will destroy the devil. God will give you the victory. Adam and Eve, they had to leave the garden, but they left the garden with the promise uh, that eventually Jesus was going to come uh, and crush the serpent. I've come to tell somebody it's time to confess our sins uh, for he is faithful and just to forgive us. Clap your hands and give God the glory. And so that brings us to our lesson this evening. Here, we are dealing with the aftermath of the brutal murder of Abel by his brother Cain. This is the very first murder recorded in the Bible. And we're going to pick up the story in verse number 10. If you have your Bibles, leave them open. We're going to walk through some things tonight. Where God says to Cain, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. There are two points I want to highlight from this scripture before we dive into the heart of the sermon. The first being, if you have your Bibles open, what you'll notice in the margins, perhaps your margins are in the middle of your Bible, in the middle of two columns, or perhaps it's at the bottom of your Bible, but you'll notice that when it comes to Genesis chapter 4, for some of you, in verse number 10, it's going to translate that word blood as bloods, plural. That's because in Hebrew, the word blood is plural. This is not some insignificant point, but rather this actually shows us how truly devastating murder is. Because to Jewish people and Jewish culture, whoever kills one person also kills that person's potential children as well. So you're not only killing one but all the offspring and humanity that would have come from that lineage, you're murdering in one swipe. This is very sobering to think of, amen, but we as humans have a way of fixating on the negative side of things, and so we must understand that the opposite holds true as well. When you save one person, you're also saving all those who will come after them. Uh, hear me. That's why we have to get away from the idea that whether I'm a witness or whether I, I reach out to my family only affects me and whether or not I sin only affects me. What you'll notice constantly highlighted in the book of Genesis uh, is that sin in its nature seeks to corrupt uh, not only the individual but those associated with them as well. It wasn't enough for Eve to partake of the fruit. She had to pull her husband in as well. And so we understand that sin spreads and affects, uh, but we ought not be discouraged because so too does righteousness. Hear me, Lot was blessed not because he himself was righteous, but because he was connected to a righteous man. It was Noah who found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and by extension, his family was saved as well. So although sin may corrupt and spread, seeking to destroy, we must remember that righteousness can spread and bless and build not only in our lives, but in our children's lives and to future generations as well. 
Let me tell you why it's important to preach that way. Because you think you living holy only affects you. And you say, well, if I don't dress holy, amen, it's between me and God. Hear me tonight. Uh, amen. You got children that are watching you. You got young people that have their eyes on you. And I'm telling you, your righteousness uh, does more than what you could imagine. I'm telling you today. Amen. I'm telling you, my, we baptized my father earlier this year. I've been in church all my life. He dropped us off at church. He stopped coming. Amen. I baptized him earlier, but even he will admit that there were times he felt like he should have lost his life, but he understood that the prayers of his family, amen, were covering him. I've come to encourage somebody, amen, your righteousness affects more than just you. Hear me. Let me preach to the moms and dads in the building. You know what happens when life is hard and you sit at home. You know what that does to your children? It lets them know that when life is hard for them, amen, that they shouldn't turn to Jesus and turn to the house of God. But when you show up, amen, even when all hell is breaking loose, you're setting a precedent to those babies that when I'm in distress, amen, and when I'm hurting, and when I'm confused, and when life is dark, amen, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and are safe. Come on, you got to show up even when you don't feel like it. You got to worship even when life is hard, I'm letting my children know. Come on, we're letting some babies know. We're letting some young people know, amen, that we don't let circumstance dictate our praise. Come on. We don't let what happens in life dictate what we do in the house of God because we don't worship God for what he gives us. We worship God for who he is. And guess what? God never stops being good. God never stops being righteous. God never stops being holy. And if God is always good, I ought always to praise him and worship him. Even on a Wednesday night, I ought to lift up the name of God because he's still good and he's still worthy of my praise. Come on. Even when things come and things go, God is good and I'm going to praise his name. I'm going to lift up the name of Jesus. Come on. When you start thinking about how your righteousness affects others, amen, it'll help you live for God because guess what? At times we struggle to love ourselves. In fact, oftentimes, and if we're being honest, we look in the mirror and a lot of us, amen, are repulsed by what we see. And sometimes you got to find motivation you got to pull some tools out of the bag. Amen. Because just because you live for God and you become in a church doesn't mean every time you come to church you're excited and you want to dance and you want to shout. But when you understand, amen, that I got people, amen, that are counting on me. I got, come on, if you don't pray for your family, who's going to pray for them? If you don't pray for your lost loved ones, who's going to pray for them? Come on, when you don't feel like it for yourself, you got to show up to the house of God and say, this one's for you, mom. This one's for you, dad. Come on, we got to learn how to shout and praise God, not based off of emotion, but based off of knowledge. I don't praise God for how I feel. I praise God for what I know. Amen. Come on, we got to learn. Amen. That righteousness can spread. Righteousness can spread. Amen. What you do for God is bigger than just you. Amen. We got some babies. Amen. That are watching. We got young people. Amen. That need to take this church to higher levels. 
Amen. You're blessed with young pastors. Amen. But even they won't be here forever. We need some young people to fall in love with what we have. Uh, hear me. Hear me, elders. Thank God that you've passed this message on to us. Uh, amen. But I'm telling you, amen, something powerful happens uh, when we see elders, uh, amen, in the altars worshiping God and praising God and still running the aisles all these years later. It lets us know, uh, amen, come on, I can make it. Uh, I can make it. Uh, I can make it. Don't let the devil tell you uh, just because you're getting there up up there in age, amen, that all hope is lost and that everything you have to offer is gone. I'm telling you, there's some young people that are watching you. They need to see you dance. They need to see you shout. They need to see you worship. They need to see you live for God. Amen. Amen. The second thing to note from that scripture with blood is the idea of blood crying out. I remember as a young person, I would read that the question mark, blood crying out. Amen. What does that mean? This is a metaphor that's picked up, I believe it's in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 24, where it says that the blood of Jesus speaketh better things than the blood of Abel. Because Abel's blood crying out was speaking of judgment, while the blood of Jesus speaks of mercy and forgiveness. Abel's blood crying out was demanding judgment on the sin of man. But the blood of Jesus judged sin itself. And before we move on, let me take a moment to remind someone that the grace of God speaks better things than judgment. Hear me, somebody. His grace has overpowered sin, and his mercies are new every morning. And everywhere that sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Amen. Abel's blood rightly calls for vengeance, but Jesus' blood shouts of forgiveness to all who come to him. That means there is great hope for us all because Jesus' blood washes away all the hidden sins of those who come to him, and his blood atones for our public sins sin, whatever it may be. Hear this preacher this evening. No one under the sound of my voice or listening online is beyond the grace of God. Amen. It doesn't matter what you've done. Amen. It is not beyond the grace of God. Amen. I don't care what rogue leaders have said to you or proclaimed over your life. Regardless of the words of abusive parents and guardians, in spite of the whispers of our adversary, hear me tonight for those that are struggling with condemnation. There is forgiveness for your sins, not because you're good, but all because the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Come on, don't let condemnation drag you down, uh, amen, uh, and cause you to become stagnant and lifeless, uh, but come to the realization that God can forgive you. Uh, there's no sin that's too great for God. Uh, there's no life that's too messed up, uh, amen. Think about this. How great would God be if he couldn't forgive you for a mistake you made? When you think about how bad you messed up, amen, think about how great would God be if he could not forgive you for a mistake that you made. If God could not forgive you for a sin you've committed, that would mean that your sin is greater than the grace of God. What am I saying? You're forgiven, amen, not because you're good, uh, not even because you said sorry. We're forgiven because his grace uh, is greater than our mistake. His grace is greater than our mistake. I'm preaching to someone today. I'm breaking through a cloud of judgment and condemnation tonight. Uh, hear me in the Holy Ghost. Uh, his grace is greater than your mistake. Uh, as bad as you are, amen, you know, you know what? 
You know what, living a life and having a past, uh, amen, that is so hideous uh, and so dark uh, and so depressing, you know what that lets you know uh, is that God's love goes deeper even than your mistake. Uh, his love is greater even than the than the rankest sinner. I don't care if you've murdered someone. I don't care if you've lied and you've cheated, uh, if you've committed adultery or you've been addicted to drugs or alcohol. Every time God forgives you, he's letting you know my grace is greater. My grace is greater. My grace is sufficient. Uh, my grace is able to meet your... Hey, come on. His blood flows, uh, amen, to the deepest valleys. Uh, his blood flows uh, to the darkest corners of society. Amen. There's no place uh, that's too dark for the love of God uh, to begin to shine I'm preaching to somebody amen no matter how dark your world gets his blood is still flowing his blood is still flowing you ought to shout and thank God thank you God for your blood thank you God for your mercy thank you that your blood does not judge but your blood provides grace let's clap our hands and give God the glory amen and so, moving along quickly, we then find God cursing Cain from the ground, which I'm sure was no coincidence. No longer would he be able to reap a harvest farm until the ground as he had done previously. He was now a fugitive and a vagabond. He had become a drifter and a wanderer. We find that Cain's heart, after all of this, somehow was still not repentant because upon receiving this judgment his response was not an appeal for mercy it was not the reply of someone who was remorseful for what they had done he replied that his punishment was greater than what he could bear Cain in spite of all that had transpired, remained in his cursed condition because even then in the presence of God, he chose to be angry rather than to ask for mercy. Cain's spirit refused to be broken. He wasn't complaining about the sin. He was complaining about the punishment. Yet we find how far the mercy of God goes because in spite of his previous warning that was ignored, and the following murder of his brother and the lack of remorse on the part of Cain, God still extended mercy by declaring whoever kills Cain would receive a sevenfold punishment. The Bible tells us that then God would place a mark on Cain to warn anyone who tried to kill him. And this mark is debated whether it was a physical branding, a certain way that Cain's hair was cut, or perhaps even a supernatural sign that followed him or even the city that he would build being a type and shadow of the city of refuge, which would be instituted in the book of Numbers. And there are many different things we could dive into and explore in these scriptures that time won't permit for us tonight. However, it's what transpires next that really lodged in my spirit and is the heart of what I want to share with you very quickly over the next few moments. In the very next four verse, Genesis chapter 4, verse 16, the Bible says, and Cain Cain, hear me, amen, watch this verse. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Cain, this man that was so wrapped up into himself and his own desires. Cain, this man who wanted to do things his own way. Cain, a man who refused to be obedient. When it's all said and done, scripture tells us it was he who went out from the presence of God. 
I want you to catch this. I want you to understand this. This is the crux. This is the foundation of the message I'm trying to leave with you. Nowhere in Scripture does the Bible say that God forced Cain to leave his presence. We understand that in the dialogue, God was telling Cain that he's going to be driven out. But in that moment, uh, God did not force him out. It was Cain, the Bible says, uh, that left the presence of God. The Bible does not tell us that God left him. The, the Bible does not tell us that God pushed him away. Uh, the Bible says that Cain left and went out from the presence of God. And tonight, I want to minister to somebody. I feel this in the Holy Ghost. I want you to understand what lies beyond his presence? And it's my prayer that by the end of this lesson, someone will leave here with the help that they need and a reminder that we ought to be careful when we start desiring things that are outside the presence of God. Hear me. Amen. I'm going to help someone tonight. We ought to be careful. Amen. When we start desiring careers, amen, that are outside the presence of God. When we start desiring positions uh, that cause us to miss church. Uh, when we start desiring relationships uh, that are pulling us away from the presence of God. Uh, amen. When we start giving so much time to family members. Uh, amen. Who are pulling us away from the presence of God. You see, it's easy for us to point the finger at Cain and his iniquity. It's easy for us to read incredulously of all his wrongdoings. But let's be transparent tonight and ask ourselves, how many times have we made a mess of things in our life because we wanted to do things our own way? How many times have we fallen short of the glory of God, striving for things that were contrary to God's will? How many times have we sat in a, in a, in a, in a broken place and thought that the grass was greener on the other side? Amen. God has placed in my heart this evening a warning that when we resist his hand and we resist his will, we, like Cain, go wandering out from the presence of God. Hear me tonight. There is nothing more dangerous. There is nothing more destructive. There's nothing more devastating. There's nothing more crippling than to discover what lies beyond the presence of God. Uh, and I may be getting a little ahead of myself, but I've come to preach to those of us that were born in the church and let you know that the grass is not greener on the other side. That the flickering lights and the appeal of the world that lie outside his presence uh, are in reality full of darkness and emptiness. Uh, amen. Hear me, child of God. Uh, amen. I know the world is pulling on you. Uh, amen. I understand that you have friends that are pulling on you. Uh, you have family members who say it doesn't take all of that. Uh, hear me. Amen. I'm reaching for somebody in the Holy Ghost. Uh, amen. Don't let your heart wander. Uh, amen. Don't let your mind wander. Uh, amen. Hear me. The best place for you to be uh, is in the house of God and in his presence. You don't have to smoke to have a testimony. Amen. You don't have to find out the bitter consequences of divorce to have a testimony. Amen. You don't have to drink your liver away. Amen. To have a testimony. Your testimony is that God kept you from nod. Your testimony is that you're undefiled. Amen. Your testimony, amen, is that God has kept you. Amen. Don't allow the devil to cause you to think that there's something better outside these four walls. I'm telling you the best thing in 
in this universe uh, happens here on Sunday at 1.30 uh, and Wednesday at 7 p.m. And you got to get that in your mind uh, that what we're doing here is the most important thing in your life. It's the most important thing of your life. Come on, I understand you need to have a job and you need to provide for your family, but can I tell you what you do Monday, Tuesday, and the days you don't have church, it applies to the temporal, but what we're doing here right now applies to eternity, and I'm telling you what's more important is what's happening in the presence of God. And to those of us that weren't born in church, that come to God in our later years, don't begin to complain like the Israelites. Don't get comfortable in your freedom that you begin to look fondly on that which used to enslave you. Israel got to the place they got so familiar. Can you imagine the manifestation of the presence of God in a cloud and in a pillar of fire? They got so used to his presence that in a slight moment, of trial, they started longing for enslavement that they used to have. Can I tell you what happens, amen, when you, when you start choosing to complain rather than to pray? You start to look back on things that God freed you from and start desiring them again. Can I tell you, amen, I don't know why I'm here, but amen, I'm going to follow the Holy Ghost. Can I tell you, amen, when you start to desire the things that used to enslave you, that's a reminder that you ought to run to this altar and get back in the presence of God and pray some things out of your spirit. Amen. If you used to be addicted to alcohol and you're starting to desire that thing again, I'm telling you, you're, you got your eyes on the wrong thing. And I'm telling you, what we need tonight is a perspective shift where we understand, amen, that there's nothing more beautiful, amen, than what's happening right now. Right now, uh, there's nothing more beautiful than when the praise team starts to sing uh, and you feel the presence of God move on your spirit again. Uh, I'm telling you, you don't want to find out what lies beyond his presence, uh, but you ought to always say, I got to get to the house of God. Uh, I got to get in the presence of God. Uh, I got to feel his anointing one more time. Uh, I got to feel his power one more time. Uh, I want to feel his love one more time. Uh, come on, sometimes you got to go back, uh, amen, to where you were when God first saved you. Uh, and what it was like when his spirit uh, began to be poured out on your soul uh, and God began to wash away years of depression uh, and darkness. I'm preaching to someone, uh, you got to fall in love with his presence. Amen. Consider 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. The Bible says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. You want to know what lies outside the presence of God? Idolatry, adultery, abusers, thieves, coveters, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, murderers. That's what lies outside of his presence. But when you came to Jesus, you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord. Can I tell you the blessings you're experiencing in life now didn't grow from the ground. It was because you made the decision to get in the presence of God. God. And I've come to remind someone uh, that there's no hope outside of his presence. Uh, there's no love outside of his presence. Uh, there's no joy outside of his presence. Uh, there's no peace outside of his presence. 
But Psalm 1611 lets us know that it's in his presence uh, that we find fullness of joy. Uh, can I tell you everything that you're searching for uh, is found in the presence of God. Uh, it's found in the presence of God. Let's clap our hands and give God the glory. Amen. Now I'm quickly, uh, scripture is so beautiful. Scripture is so profound. It's so deep. Scripture has so much meaning. And I'm going to show you, remember, Cain made the decision to leave the presence of God. What scripture does next, and, and if you're just reading scripture on its surface, it starts to list off the names of the descendants of Cain. But if you're just reading scripture, amen, without understanding You'll begin to think this is kind of random. We go from a story into a lineage. But I'm telling you, Scripture is speaking loudly to the devastating effects of someone making the choice to leave the presence of God. I want you to follow with me over the next few verses. Amen. We're going to talk really quick and get to where we're going. But I'm going to show you what happened after Cain made the decision to leave the presence of God. In verse 17, the Bible says he builds a city which he calls Enoch. The first thing we find him doing is building a city that he doesn't dedicate to God. He names it after his own son. He wandered from the presence of God. He builds a city and names it after his son, showing that he was desiring, determining, and attempting to build his own empire. But watch what happens with his family. Genesis chapter 4, verse 18, Enoch has a son named Irad. And in Bible times, uh, names had meanings. I'm not saying names don't have meanings now. Amen. But you would get a very realistic glimpse of the character of the individual being mentioned when you study the meaning of his name. And so Enoch had a son named Irad, and Irad's name means fugitive. Irad has a son, and his name means smitten by God. Uh, amen. Methuselah uh, uh, has a son, and his son names means he who demands his death. Uh, Methuselah has Lamech, which means poor and lowly. Uh, and Lamech becomes the first man to practice polygamy in the Bible. And Lamech marries a woman named Ada, which means ornament, and Zillah, which means shade or seductress. Uh, he also becomes the second man to commit murder. And just like his father, he's unremorseful and he's boastful. We find in verse 23 and 24 him telling his wives, if Cain would be avenged sevenfold, then he would be avenged seventy and sevenfold. What Lamech was doing was highlighting his nature and his desire to be more vile and violent than his predecessors. Watch this. In verse 20 through 23, we're given a list of people, and the only description given to them is their profession. Jabel built tents and took care of cattle, yet nowhere in Scripture does it tell us that he did it for God. Jubal made instruments and played music with the harp and the organ, but nowhere does it say that he did it for God. Tubal Cain made brass and iron, and iron, but nowhere does it say that he built these things for God. And what you're seeing unfold here in Scripture is the effect of leaving the presence of God and not having him be the central piece and the defining part of our life. What you're seeing literally is the moral decay of generations uh, and the decline of society. We're seeing sin prevail because a man was unrepentant and went out from the presence of God. He started to have children who were seductresses. He started to have children who murdered and bragged about it. He started to have, amen, children who were fugitives, children who were poor and lowly, all because a man went out from the presence of God. 
Cain, he didn't realize what he was doing, but he was setting a family in play that would introduce sin to the entire world. He was introducing sin to his children because he decided to go out from the presence of God. But I'm thankful the story doesn't end there. Genesis chapter 4, verse 25 and 26 said, Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God said, she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel whom Cain slew. And to Seth and to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Watch this. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. What we're seeing here, a man is one lineage that decided to leave his presence. And Adam and Eve decided to trust God and bear another son. And because they raised their children in the fear of the Lord, that lineage would produce Noah who would save the entire world. You're seeing two generations and the consequences of leaving his presence, amen, and the benefits of staying in his presence. Cain, do you realize you're going to have some children who are going to be forever lost because you decided to go out from my presence. Hey Amen. I've come to preach in this house today and I feel the Holy Ghost. Hey Amen. I'm not interested in what lies beyond his presence. If I call on the Lord and stay in his presence, something new will spring up. I'm reminded, hey amen, of how Israel builds the golden calf. And Moses comes down from the mountain and he breaks the tablets of stone and God judges some of the people. And in Exodus chapter 33, we find Moses having dealt with the idolaters beginning to plead on behalf of Israel to God. He was begging God to forgive his people, amen, for making idols of gold. And God would respond, walk with me here. In Exodus 33, 1 through 3, the Lord said unto Moses, depart. And go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Unto thy seed will I give it. Watch this. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Now on the surface, this appears to be a good thing. God is going to allow the children of Israel to inherit the promised land, even though they made the golden calf. He even says he's going to send an angel to drive out the inhabitants of the land, and he's going to send them an angel, amen, to bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey, a blessing, a promise, and a prosperity. And this seems so beautiful that God would forgive his people and allow them to enter the promised land. And so many times we read through this story and overlook the last half of this next verse where God gives the reason he was sending an angel before them. He says, for I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. Walk with me here. Walk with me. Amen. As we know, God is bound to his word. He had reached a place where he tired of the transgressions of his people, but he was so bound to his word that he was still willing to send an angel, amen, before his people to give them the land, but he refused for his presence to go with them. And as the people began to weep and mourn, Moses removes the tabernacle and places it outside of the camp, showing how the presence of God was no longer with his people. And so the people of God understood, watch this, that they could still have the land that they were promised, the land that their forefathers dreamed about when they were in 400 years of slavery. They could still have their blessing, and all the inhabitants of the land would be driven out. They would have divine protection from an angel of God. He was letting them know you can have everything that you've ever wanted. 
But we find Moses in verse 15 making a statement that resonated with me. It is the heartbeat of what I'm sharing with you where he says, if thy presence go not with us, don't take us away from here. Another translation says, if you do not personally go with us, then don't make us leave this place. Moses understood uh, that there's nothing good outside of his presence. Uh, even if it meant he had to sacrifice the dream of the promised land, Moses said, I'm not leaving your presence. Uh, come on, I'm preaching to you right now. There are times uh, where the dreams that you desire, amen, God is willing to give them to you because you've asked for them so much, uh, but his presence is not willing to go with you. Uh, and I'm telling you, you need to have the revelation that Moses had uh, that I'm willing to die in this wilderness uh, if it means I get to stay in your presence uh, and if it means I get to stay with you Jesus uh, come on I'm preaching to you right now the Israelites uh, had the opportunity of a lifetime uh, but Moses says uh, nothing is worth going outside of your presence uh, nothing is worth going outside of your hear me young person hear me I know what it's like to want a spouse uh, and to pray for a spouse uh, but I'm telling you if your pastor says no uh, and your parents say no and God is unctioning you to stay away. Hear me. There's no relationship that's worth leaving the presence of God. Hear me. There's no career that's worth leaving the presence of God. There's no riches that this world could offer that's worth sacrificing the presence of God. Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost. What I'm trying to share with somebody today is that there are times when opportunity arises where you could have the riches your heart desires, but you have to understand that I'd rather have nothing and have Jesus than to have the house I desire and the car I desire and to have the fame I desire. I'm preaching to somebody. you got to learn to be content. Amen. If you're in a valley, you ought to shout if God is still with you. Come on, if you're in darkness, come on, the Lord will be a light unto me. I'm preaching to you, there's nothing worth leaving his presence. There's nothing worth going outside of his presence. And I'm trying to transmit the spirit of Moses in this house that says, God, I know I can see it. I can see the promised land. But God, if you will not go with me. I'm not going to move. I'm talking about getting to a place where you understand that God's presence is everything, that God's spirit is everything, and I'm not willing to go somewhere that God's spirit refuses to go with me. I'm not willing to walk. I'm not willing to travel. I'm not willing, amen, to have all my wildest imaginations fulfilled. If Jesus is not willing to go with me, I'm preaching to you. The treasure is not in the promised land. The treasure is within. The treasure is in earthen vessels. You got to get to the place where you understand that Jesus is everything that I need. Come on, I'm preaching. This is how you learn how to be content in every situation. This is how you learn how to be content even when and you don't have money in your bank account uh, and all hell is breaking loose uh, and all your friends desert you uh, and people are mocking you uh, and making fun of you, you got to get to the place where you realize uh, God hasn't left me. Uh, amen. There's still a chance. Uh, God hasn't left me. Uh, there's still hope. Uh, amen. But we lose all of that when we decide to go outside of his presence. I wonder what Cain would have done if he could have foresaw the generations of sin and darkness from making the decision to leave his presence. We got to get to a place where we understand the most important, hear me, 
the most important thing you can do is stay in the will of God. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's confusing. The best thing, hear me, if you're struggling, amen, the best thing to do is to make no decision at all and to just worship and praise God because I'm telling you, hear me, and I don't know who I'm reaching for tonight, but I'm preaching to somebody. There's been situations, there's been opportunities that have arisen, amen, that is slowly drawing you away from the house of God. I'm telling you, there's no more dangerous of a place to be than outside the presence of God, amen. Even if you mess up, you know what you need to do? You need to appeal for mercy. Cain, ask God to forgive you. Cain, ask God to give you one more chance chance. Don't leave his presence. There's children that are going to be lost. There's sin that's going to be introduced to the world. I'm preaching. You got to stay put and say, God, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving your presence. Come on, lift your hands and worship God all over this house. Come on, that's it. Come on, lift your voice all over this house for a few moments. We're about to close right here, but lift your voice. I'm preaching to somebody right now. You need to ignore the voice of the devil and say, I'm not leaving. I'm not walking out. Come on, I'm keeping my feet planted on the word of God. Because if I leave his presence... I lose everything. If I lose his presence, I lose everything. That's important. Let's stand all over this house. The last scripture we read tonight was found in Psalm chapter 51. You have to forgive me. Amen. I understand I'm in a great church, and perhaps this message may not be for everyone. Amen. The next time I come back, we'll shout, we'll dance, we'll run, we'll do backflips. Amen. But I'm reaching for somebody right now. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to give you some perspective because sometimes we just make this rash decisions in the moment uh, and we don't have the foresight and are confused and are depressed and our, our state of anxiety to realize the devastating effects of some of the decisions we make. Uh, I'm, te I'm telling you, amen, I've had people close to me that have walked out on God and I look at their babies, and I wonder what kind of life they're going to live. I wonder what kind of life they're going to be introduced. I'm telling you, you got to stay in the presence of God. Amen. If all else fails, just come down to this church and hold on to the word of God and say, God, I'm not going to live. I'm not going to leave your presence. Come on. Come on. Sometimes you got to get to the place where you say, I'm going to live for God one more moment. I'm going to live for God one more moment. I'm going to take one more step. Come on. You've come too far to give up. Amen. We're too close to the end for you to leave the presence of God. Psalms 51, we find the prayer of David. He had messed up. Hey man, he had he had he didn't go to war. And then he spies a woman, he commits adultery, he has a man killed. And finally he's confronted with his wrongdoing by a man of God. David was a king. The king was unlike our presidents. These kings were monarchs. Whatever they ruled and decreed was put into place. They could speak like David did and a man would lose his life. They had all the riches the world could offer. Come on, he had gold, he had silver. He, he had everything. He was a man of war. He was a great man. People looked up to him. But when it came down 
to everything. In Psalms 51, we see the heart of a man which captures the spirit I'm trying to transmit in this service. David reached a place where he understood that he was in odds with the presence of God and that he was at a crossroads in his life. He could either repent, amen, or he could be filled with pride and rule. And he looked around at he looked around at the temple. He looked he looked around at the at the at the at the, at the kingdom and the palace and the clothes and the servants. Amen. He was a man of great position. But when it came down to it, the only thing that David did want taken away from him is found in Psalms 51 and 11. He doesn't beg God to keep him as a king. He doesn't beg God to keep his riches. He doesn't beg God to keep his, his political powers. The only thing he demands and begs is, God, cast me not away from your presence. David, what are you saying? I don't care what happens. I don't care what's taken away from me. The only thing I desire, amen, do not cast me away from your presence and don't take your spirit from me. Amen, I'm trying to preach, amen, in this house. You may lose everything. You may lose loved ones. You may lose family. You may lose relationships. You may lose jobs, but you got to get to the place. If everything is taken, the only thing I refuse to lose is the presence of God. Come on, we're going to go through hardship. We're going to go through turmoil. But you got to reach the point. God, whatever comes and goes, amen, your presence has to stay with me. Because we understand Job, Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But you know what the Bible says? He will never leave us or forsake us. That means that materials come, material goes. But you do not have to ever lose the presence of God. And like we talked about on Sunday, yes, there's times we feel him, there's times we don't feel him, but he's always there. I'm trying to preach to somebody louder than the voice of this world. You want to know why? Because in this social media age, we see people flaunting riches and we begin to desire things. But I'm trying to pull your perspective back into reality and let you know the most important thing in this world is the Spirit of God. The most important thing in this world is the Holy Ghost. I don't care what you lose. Come on. Come on, I don't care what gets taken away. You got to get to the place that says, as long as I have Jesus, as long as I'm in his presence, come on, I have everything that I need. And I'll close with this. I'm, I'm not preaching to you from a mountaintop of perfection. I'm telling you, I've had cars taken away. I had money taken away. I had a, I had a lot of things taken away, but you got to get to the place where you realize... His presence is everything that I need. Every hand lifted, every eye closed. Saint of God, hear the voice of this preacher right now. Don't walk out on God. Don't walk out on God. I'm telling you, there's people who've worked their way to the top of the totem pole with all the money this world can desire, and they're committing suicide. They're taking their lives because they reach the top and realize uh, there's no fulfillment and contentment, uh, but you can see a poor family that's happy and rejoicing. Why? It's all about the presence of God, and you don't want to find out what lies beyond his presence. Uh, come on, I'm going to open these altars. Why don't you lift your hands? 
and lift your voice all over this house and begin to pray and say, God, help me to be content with you again. Help me to be content with your presence again. Help me to be satisfied with the Holy Ghost. Help me to be satisfied with what we feel around this building right now. Come on, saint of God, don't leave his presence. Don't walk away from Jesus. Come on, come on. If your spirit doesn't go with me, come on, I'm not going to move. I'll stay here in this broken land. I'll stay here in the wilderness. I'll sit in darkness. It doesn't matter. Come on, don't take your spirit from me. Come on, let's lift our voice and let's pray as they sing. Go ahead and pray. Go ahead and pray. Your presence Come on, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Come on, God. Come on. Come on. You're everything, Jesus. You're everything I need. Come on. You're, you're everything I'm looking for. You're the peace. You're the joy. You're the love. Come on, help us not to leave your presence treasure of my heart and of my soul in my weakness you are merciful redeemer of my past and present wrongs holder of my future days to come your prayer Your presence is here. 